0: Okay, let's have a word of prayer. Lord, we do come to you now as we have the privilege of once again just considering some of these very significant principles of the work you're doing in our lives. Lord, may we more and more come to see that we are your workmanship. And Lord, that uh, any forward movement in our Christian life is brought about by your Spirit's work within. And that from beginning to end, you simply call for us to walk by faith. To put our confidence in what you have said. To believe your testimony. Lord, we think of the chapter we're in right now, the one on purpose. And just how important it is for each of us to understand What your number one goal is in the work you're doing in our lives. So that, Lord, uh, uh, the trials of life will begin to make a little more sense to us. And we'll see the value of them. Lord, we thank you again for your spirit work in us. And, Lord, we look to him to guide us this morning as we continue with this study. First, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, we're continuing on in chapter 4, the chapter on, regarding purpose. Uh, it's been two weeks since we've uh, met together, and so I do want to just do a, t- try to do a pretty quick review of uh, what we covered last week. We saw, of course, that God has made clear in His Word exactly what His purpose is for each and every one of us. It's really important for us to understand what God's trying to accomplish in our lives. Uh, What his goal is. uh, What the purpose of everything that enters our life is geared towards. Uh, And a lot of Christians struggle uh, with what's going on in their life because they really don't understand what God's trying to achieve. You know, and if God's, if they think God's uh, goal is to make life easy for them or make them prosperous or make them this or make them that, it can be real frustrating, uh, when that's not the way life goes along. So we really do want to become very clear on what God's goal is in everything He's doing. And we saw that in order to understand what God is seeking to achieve in each of our lives, we first have to understand what God's purpose was when he created mankind. Back in the Garden of Eden, when man was first created, what was God's purpose? And, you know, in Genesis one we we're told, God said, let us make man in our image, So in the opening chapter of Genesis, we're told that God's original purpose for mankind was for us to bear his image. And you know, Adam, uh, the original man, was created to bear the image of God. And each of us who descended from him (coughs) are intended to bear the image of God. Now, Question that comes up: What does it mean? Well, we do know from other scripture that it doesn't isn't speaking about physical appearance. God is not a physical being; He's a spirit being. There are times that He has taken on human form, and what uh, you know we call um, theophanies or at times Christophanes, where God has accommodated himself to man. He appeared to Abraham uh, with two angels uh, as uh, men, uh, he, uh, but he has appeared in other ways too. <clears throat> and it's clear that he is not a physical being, so when we're talking about being made in the image of God, it's not about our, our physical being. Now, I departed last time from (coughs) Green Ladders for a few minutes, looking at some things that Gordon Olson shares regarding (coughs) the image of God. And he points out that the rest of Scripture makes it clear that (coughs) the image of God has to do with the moral image of God. Now, we saw (coughs) there are three primary explanations that have been set forth down through the years as to what it means to be in the image of God. There are those who hold to what's known as the relational view and that says that the image of God enabled man to relate to God and other human beings. That it put us on a relational level with God in a way that uh you know the rest of uh, the, the creation on this war- earth uh, could not uh, uh, participate. Uh, others hold to the functional view that the image of God is seen in the fact that man was given a level of sovereignty. To rule over the the uh, animal realm, the vegetable realm, uh, the mineral realm. That he was put in charge of the planet. Just like God is sovereign over all, man was given a level of sovereignty here in this planet. And then there's a substantive view. Which says that the image of God is seen in the fact that man is substantially different from all the other creatures. And in a sense, this one pulls in the previous two. Uh, He's substantially different in that he was created with a level of sovereignty. Uh, He's substantially different in that uh, he was able to have a relationship with God that uh, the others did not have. And so Olson points out that there is truth in all three. What man does as he relates to God and other people, what man is able to do in exercising rule over nature is dependent upon who he is, that substantive reality that we are created different than the rest of creation. Now, what is this substantive reality of the image of God? Well, man was created with an everlasting spirit. You differ from your pet Fido or whatever in this regard. Your spirit goes on forever. Whether you're a believer whether you're an unbeliever. Uh, Your uh, spirit is everlasting. Secondly, uh, Colossians 3.10 tells us uh, that it involves the capacity to gain true knowledge. And thirdly, Ephesians 4.12 indicates that it involves the capacity for righteousness and holiness. And regarding this, Olson writes, It was widely understood that Adam was created in innocence with the possibility of attaining righteousness and holiness. By continued fellowship with his obedience to God, now Olson goes on to write, seeing the many aspects of his image in man, the full spectrum of god 's moral attributes should be included in our understanding. so in other words, the image of God has to, uh, the, uh, relates to the fact that everything that is morally true of God there was the possibility for that to appear in man. Love, righteousness, justice, wisdom. All those things were potentially there in Adam when he was created. So in simpler terms, the image of God involves the very moral characteristics of God. Not the characteristics of his being, where he's omniscient and omnipresent and omnipotent. You know, we are not created in God's image in the realm of being, but we were created in the image of God when it came to character. Now, Miles Stanford, in the book here, when he speaks of the first man, he writes that he was made in God's image in the realm of personality, intellect, emotions, will, etc., And all that relates to the very realm of God's character. So that there could be communion, fellowship, and cooperation between them. But when Adam chose to disobey God, this image was marred. And that marred image has been passed on. Generation after generation after generation. Right, but we know that Adam was beguiled in choosing his own way, in preference to God's way, relying on himself only. Instead of relying on what God said, he relied on himself, loving just himself. And so, thus he brought forth a sinful, ungodly, self-centered race, uh, born in uh, dead in trespasses in s- sins. So basically, as a result of Adam's fall, we have we have all entered this world with his old Adamic nature. We bear the image of Adam, the first Adam, a fallen image. Adam was created. With the potential to show forth the very character of God. But he forfeited that. And we have all been born into this world bearing that fallen image. But we're told in scripture that in Hebrews 1 verses 1 through 3. That God hath. In these last days, spoken through his Son, who is the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. So in Christ, we once again have God's image back on earth. Christ bore forth the image of God and we see it during his time here on earth. We see, really, everything that I described earlier, or Olson described, regarding the image of God. Of course, we see his righteousness, we see his justice, we see his his wisdom, we see his love, but we also see his sovereignty over nature. Where he could calm the storm. Where he could speak to the fig tree, and, and it would wither. You know, we saw everything that Adam was intended to be found in Christ. And so we find as we move forward in Scripture that God, our Heavenly Father, is still carrying out His original purpose of making man in his image, but he's doing it through a different path. His original purpose remains the same. He wants mankind to bear his image. But while his original purpose remains the same, he's not using the original man to bring it about. He's not working through the Adamic life. He's seeking to bring it about through the Lord Jesus Christ, who is referred to as the last Adam. And we're told... That as we have borne the image of the earthly, that first Adamic life, as you and I have borne that image, being born into this world, bearing that image, as we have borne it, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly, which is Christ. Just like you and I were born into this world, bearing the very image of the of the original Adam, one day you and I are going to bear the image of Christ. And this is what Paul is speaking about in Romans 8, 28 and 29. Where Paul tells us that he has predestined us what? What? To be conformed to the image of his son. When you and I entered salvation, our ultimate destiny was secured. You and me will one day be Christ like. Not in being, but in character. His image. We will one day fully bear his image, and the journey is, that we go on getting that point is is going to vary with us. I used the illustration last time. I think it's the best one I've been able to come up with, you know, when Joe and I took a cruise for our 35th anniversary, when we got on that ship and they pulled up the gangplank, gang we were destined to end up where the ship went. Said we could mess it up by jumping overboard or doing something like that and mess up the illustration, but but we were going to go where the ship went. And there were Probably two or three thousand other people on board that ship who were going to end up at the same place. But our journeys weren't all the same. You know, we utilized different things on the ship, and, uh, you know, our days could be very different. And I said, you know, if we wanted, we could have stayed in our room the whole time and thought, what on earth does everybody talk about a cruise being so great? Man, it's boring. It's a a, a little small box of a room with no windows. This is one dull trip. And we could have done that and we'd have still ended up where the ship was going. And there are Christians who have utilized nothing that they have in Christ. And they wonder, you know, uh, you know, and others are talking about the joy of the Christian life. And people are saying, what on earth is this all about? Because our journeys are different. And our journeys at times are determined by decisions we make along the way and whether we choose to walk by faith or not now this is about where we got to last time where he talks about the open secret to healthy spiritual growth and this is I think on page 25 in your book either the bottom of 24 or top of 25 somewhere in there The open secret to healthy spiritual growth is to know and settle down on the facts set forth in Romans 8, 28, and 29. And he says, when we see that all things are working together to make us more and more like the Lord Jesus... We will not be frustrated and upset when some of these things are hard, difficult to understand, and often contain an element of death. We need to see that when Paul says that God is working all things together for good for those who who love him, Who are called according to his purpose. And what is that purpose? uh, To be conformed to the image of his son. Everything that has entered your life. From the time of your salvation on. Has been used by the Lord. In the process of conforming you to the image of Christ. Now you may not. See until you get to eternity how some of these things were being used by him. But you know, we oftentimes, I think, quote Romans 8 28 and 29 and don't really grasp what the good thing is. The good thing is making us more Christ like. And he says, this is our matriculation into spiritual maturity. Now, matriculation has to do with being enrolled in something. This is a, our enrollment in spiritual maturity. where it all starts. And he quotes from Romans, I mean, from Second Corinthians three eighteen. But we all with uh, open face beholding in a glass the glory of our lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory even as this by the spirit of the lord it says you know as as we behold the lord in glory we begin to take on that, that image now you know, he says here, and this is, I think is important, not that the other isn't, but he says it's one thing to know God what God's purpose is for our lives. It's great for us to know that God's purpose for you and for me is to conform us to the image of Christ. But he says it's another thing to know something of the how as to entering into it all right here and now how do we become more christ-like today certainly when we are one day in the lord's presence we're going to be christ-like and we're assured that in first john chapter 3 verse 2 where it says when christ returned we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is so we're all going to arrive at the destination of the salvation ship. It's going to get there. But the question is, how do we become more and more Christ-like today? During our time here on earth. You know, and don't just say, well, way out there in the future, I'm going to be like Christ. No. How do I become more Christ-like today? And it's the work of God. And he goes on to say, and this again is significant, and it's something a lot of times I don't think we want to hear, but we need to hear it. One of God's most effective means is failure. See, in order for us to become more Christ-like, we have got to come to give up. On the old Adamic life. We have got to come to see. That it's not going to ever be fixed. And God is not going to help us fix it. I guarantee you there are going to be a lot of prayers offered up today. To the Lord to help fix this. Lord, help me control my temper. Lord, help me, you know, control this uh, addiction. It's all geared towards trying to fix this. And God's not going to help you fix it. In fact, when we get to a much later chapter, the help chapter, he opens with a statement God didn't help you get saved. He doesn't intend to help you live the Christian life. He didn't help you get saved. He saved you. It wasn't a partnership. You and God together saved you. The Christian life's not a partnership either, it's a learning to live our life in union with Christ and Christ being formed in us. And in order to bring us to the place of saying, not I, but Christ, we have to fail, 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 fail over uh, in our own attempts at the Christian life. And this takes us back to the chapter of time. (laughs) Sometimes it takes years of failure to bring us to that place, to bring us to that Romans 7 experience. The good I want to do, Lord, I can't do, and the evil I don't want to do, I continually do. Oh, wretched man that I am, who's going to deliver me? And then to discover, as Paul did, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. The same source of deliverance from the guilt and penalty of sin becomes our source of deliverance from the rule of sin. But failure brings us to that point. He says so many believers are simply frantic over the fact of failure in their lives. And they'll go to all lengths to try to hide it, ignore it, or rationalize about it. And all the time they are resisting the main instrument in the Father's hand for conforming us to the image of His Son. Man, we want to deny our failures. We want to hide from them. Explain them away. Rather than realize what they mean. That I am incapable of Of living the Christ life. Only he can do it. And so failure. Where this old Adamic life. This self life is concerned. Failure. Where self is concerned. In the Christian life and service. Is allowed and often engineered by God. In order to turn us completely from ourselves. To his source for our life. Christ Jesus. He says who never fails. Now notice. He says failure where self is concerned in our Christian life. And service. God will allow us to fail in Christian service. And you know I had to really try to emphasize this to our our students of the new tribes who were going to go to the field, that God will let you fail in your, your, your ministry in order to bring you to himself, to bring you to Christ, to teach you to depend upon him. You know, we think that if... We're serving God. God's going to do everything he can to to help us succeed. Not if we're doing it through the energy of the flesh. Elsewhere in the book he makes, I think, another significant statement when he said, God is more concerned with the servant than with the service. He's more concerned with the servant than he is with the service. And he'll let you fail. You say, well, what about all those people I'm trying to minister? God can minister to them in other ways. You are not indispensable. And his main concern is that you come to a place of utter and complete dependence. Dependence. Upon him, Rick, can I just uh, remind you of the, of the fact that we've talked about this whole thing of how gracious God is? That even at times when we're not walking in the Spirit, but we're speaking the truth, you know, it, I mean, God works, yeah, He still works. I'm not promoting that. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, but I'm just saying He's just that gracious that we can be struggling and still share His truth, and He will use it. Yeah, he'll still work at times, but again, he'll let us fail in our part of it and uh, in order to bring us more and more to him. He says, Rejoice, dear friends, in your need and hunger of heart. For God says, in Matthew 5, verse 6, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. He says, as we in our abject need consistently and lovingly look on our Lord Jesus revealed to us in the word, the Holy Spirit will quietly and effortlessly change the center and source of our lives from self to Christ. Hence, for each of us, it will be not I but Christ. I like that. Where he says the Holy Spirit will quietly and effortlessly change it. It's not through our great effort that Christ becomes the center of our life. It's the Spirit's work. And he does it quietly and at times incrementally. (laughs) Little by little. Day by day. Now he says, God has a natural law in force to effect that we are conformed to that on which we center our interest and love. He says there's a natural law that what we center our interest and love on is what we become conformed to. He says Hawthorne brought out this fact in the great stone face. Then to to think of Germany some years ago, and he wrote this probably back in the 60s, so it was only about 20 some years after World War II. So some of his illustration here goes back to that time period. But he said, uh, to think of Germany some years ago, full of little Hitlers, All because of fanatical devotion to a second-rate paper hanger. Here in our country, and here's where things have changed a little, comic books, radio, TV, and movies have all contributed in giving us a rise of generation of young policemen, cowboys, gangsters, etc. Of course, we could put a different list in there you know, rock stars and, uh, you know, movie stars and this and that, who uh, we have put in that, uh, people have put in that place of basically worshipping. He says, and what of the believer? If we are attracted to this present evil world, we will become increasingly worldly. If we pamper and live for self, we become more and more self-centered. But if we look to Jesus Christ, we will become more and more like him. People say, well, you know, what do I need to do? You need to get your eyes on Christ. You need to make him your focus. You need to come to worship him. I think worship is something we've largely misunderstood. Singing songs over there this morning is not worship. It can be an expression of worship. Worship is the role Christ holds in our heart. It's not some outward action. Our outward actions at times reflect what we worship. But worship starts here in our heart. And there are a zillion ways we can express our worship for him. But whether or not what we do over in the auditorium this morning is an expression of worship or not has to do with the, uh, the place Christ holds in our heart. It can just be singing a lot of songs we like the tunes of. But if in our heart and, and in our words we're expressing what Christ truly means in our heart, then we're expressing our worship of him. And we hopefully gather together as men and women who truly worship Christ. You know, in the world, people worship all sorts of things. A lot of people worship sports figures. They're consumed with them. That's where their focus is. Our music uh stars their focus is on that and that's what they they think about and that's what they talk about and that's what they put up on uh, posters on their wall what do we think about what do we talk about what is foremost in our hearts and minds is it the Lord Jesus Christ Norman Doughty, and I love this. This is probably one of my favorite quotes in the entire book. Norman Doughty writes, If I am to be like him, then God in his grace must do it. And the sooner I come to recognize it, the sooner I will be delivered from another form of bondage. That of trying to do it on myself. Throw down every endeavor and say, I cannot do it. The more I try, the further I get from his likeness. What shall I do? Ah, oh, the Holy Spirit says, you cannot do it. Just withdraw. Come out of it. You've been in the arena. You've been endeavoring. You are a failure. Come out and sit down. And as you sit there, behold him. Don't try to be like him. Just look at him. Just be occupied with him. Forget about trying to be like him. Instead of letting that fill your mind and heart, let him fill it. Just behold him. Look upon him through the word. Come to the word for one purpose, and that is to meet the Lord. Not to get your mind crammed full of things about the sacred word, but come to it to meet the Lord. Make it a medium, not of biblical scholarship, but of fellowship with Christ. Behold the Lord. That last little part of that quote I actually made into a bookmark that I used to give my students on the first day I taught them. Come to the Word for one purpose, and that is to meet the Lord. Not to get your mind crammed full of things about the sacred Word, but come to it to meet the Lord. Make it a medium, not a biblical scholarship, but a fellowship with Christ. Behold the Lord. I gave it to some of you back when we were doing Colossians. I don't know if some of you still have it. But I used to give it to my students. I'd say, put this in your Bible to remind you over the next two years. That the most important thing in your studying the Word here is not to get your mind crammed full of things about the Word. The most important thing is that you meet the Lord. That you really get to know Him. And I can look back through my life and I think I can safely say that I have not known anyone who really got to know the Lord in a deep, intimate, personal way who was not transformed by Him. Don't know anybody. You know, if you really come to focus on Christ, and you come to the Word to really get to know Him, and to know the Father too, to really know God, As you come to the Word and you really get to know Him, little by little, His values become your values. His goals become your goals. His ways become your ways. It's not because of your efforts. It's just He changes everything as you get to know Him. Now stop and think about it just on a human level. Those of you who have been married many years, you've rubbed off on each other. You know, you started out very different in a lot of your thinking, and a lot of your values, but over time, what? You've come to share certain values. You've come to share certain goals. Even, to an extent, your vocabulary has probably changed. You use words that each other may have used in the past, but now they've, they've become yours together. Why? Because being with somebody and really getting to know somebody begins to influence you. And so it is with the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, we've talked about it before, but when we went to Ireland, among the first uh, that we really began to minister to, well, the first one was a young woman who said, you know, I've tried to live the Christian life. You know, I've spent hours reading the Word. I've spent so much time praying. I've been out there witnessing. I've been doing it. And I'm failing. And she said, I'm ready to quit. She said, I know I'm going to heaven when I die. But I just want to give up on it all. Walk away. And my response was, you're at a really good place. And that response was based largely on this. I said, how about... Just quit trying to produce the Christian life and let's get to know Christ. Let's just get to know Him and what He has done and, and what He has provided for you. Let's just change our focus from what you're trying to do to really looking at Him. And she said, I'm willing to do that. And over the next several years, as she really came to know Christ in a deeper, more intimate, personal way, everything she had been unable to produce became, became something that flowed naturally from her life. But it started with just getting to know Him. You know, so often we go to the Word and we make it about us. We're looking at it and saying, how can this fix my life, you know? And, and we're focused on the Word to fix us rather than focusing on the Word to get to know Him. When I used to go through Genesis, especially when we got to chapters 12 and beyond I used to say to my students, you know you've probably been through Genesis before and the focus has been on you need to be more like Abraham or you need to be more like you know less like Jacob Uh, you know uh, the focus has been on the people I said Let's not focus on Abraham, let's focus on the God of Abraham. Let's focus on the God of Isaac. Let's focus on the God of Jacob, the God of Joseph. Let's look at God. He will surprise you at what he does. And I've had a number of students tell me later on, it really transformed things when for the first time they looked at God. And really watched God work. It changed everything for him. We need to come to the word to get to know him. Now he has a poem. I'll try to read it. I'm not very good at poetry. But he says, Thou sayest, fit me, fashion me for thee. Stretch forth thine empty hands and be thou still. O restless soul thou dost but hinder me by valiant purpose and by steadfast will. Behold the summer flowers beneath the sun. In stillness his great glory they behold. And sweetly thus his mighty word is done. And resting in his gladness they unfold. So are the sweetness and the joy divine. Thine, O beloved, and the work is mine. A couple of statements in that poem. One is, O restless soul, thou dost but hinder me. You get in the way by your efforts. He says, thine, O beloved, and the work is is mine. I'm the one that's going to do it. And then he closes with several passages of scripture. For it is God that worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Philippians 2.13. And what is his good pleasure he is performing in us? He is working everything t- together for this one purpose, that the life of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. 2 Corinthians 4.11 This is life for me to live as Christ. Philippians one twenty one. This is service, and there were certain Greeks saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. John 12.20-21 20 and 21. True service is going to flow when people see Jesus in and through us. Okay, we're out of time. We'll close there. Uh, Lord, we do thank you for this high goal you have for each of us. Lord, to think that you are working to conform each of us to the image of your dear Son. Lord, we acknowledge that we're far from that. But hopefully each one in this room can look back and say, I still have a long ways to go before you achieve your ultimate goal, but Lord, you've brought me a ways from where I once was. Lord, may we not try to do what only you can do. May we not try to produce the Christian life, but Lord, may we learn to put our faith, faith and our focus on the Lord Jesus Christ and let your Holy Spirit Little by little, transform us into His image. For it's in His precious name we pray. Amen.